are back. This is the Exorcist Fan Podcast, The Devil's in the Details. I am Tina. And I'm Zoe. And I'm Gaia. Awesome. And we're here to talk about all things The Exorcist TV show. We rewatch and discuss every episode, one episode at a time. Today, we are discussing the show Season 1, Episode 3, called let them in just a heads up to like we say every time there will be spoilers if you're listening and you haven't watched season one or two in completion yet do know we're gonna be talking about some spoilers there so heads up and go watch that show oh my gosh what are you waiting for go do it <laughs> ladies we're gonna go ahead with our deep dives so how are we with the opening and traditional fashion we've got to talk about this opening sequence because it has it packs in so much already with cat in the car uh, with her her love. It was one of those things that I didn't see coming. I didn't know they were going to set her up with a female love interest. So I was really like, oh, I like this. This is really appealing to me. Um, but it was so like tenderly done. It was like a beautiful, tender, like sweet, like interaction about two girls that are falling in love. And it was really pretty to watch. It had lots of these beautiful twinkly lights that kind of was flittering throughout the scene just to make it look kind of dreamlike and magical yeah and did you notice they didn't actually they don't show her face the entire time it's a conscious decision to not show this young woman's face we see cat clearly but i i'm just curious why they why they went that route i think to kind of make her like this kind of mystery element like she's a love interest for Cat, but by us not seeing her, it makes her something special just for Cat. We're not allowed to know this character. She wasn't our love interest. She's not our special like force. She's something sacred to Cat. So we can see bits of her, but we're not invited to get the whole picture because it's not designed to give us a whole picture of her. Well, that's interesting to to make us really focus more on Cat's story. Yes, and uh, uh, the other reason I think is uh, uh, Kat tell us what she likes in Julia. She tells about her eyes. She tells us about her jewels. And in the end, after the accident, we see Julia. We see her open eyes. We see she is dead, and uh, we realize that Pazuzu was uh, the one who caused the accident. And that's it, right. I didn't, I didn't catch that in the first time I watched it, that it is actually Pazuzu that stops the car. Because it, it goes so fast when you hear the she breaks and then rawr, you see the thing in front of the car. And it really, to me, the first time I watched it was just like this random ghost figure. But if you stop it, I, I rewound it. It's, it is literally that actor. It is him just hanging out in the middle of the street. I'm Pazuzu and you're... You're gonna you're gonna yeah. get hurt really bad. What I liked about that scene is that the way it was filmed, like soft lighting, like kind of the teen romance, that kind of like mood lighting, with the like magical, mysterious flickering lights going yeah. in front of the camera. And then Kat has that line about the way lights shine behind um Gloria's eyes. So oh, yeah. we are seeing that scene through the filter of Kat's description of Gloria. Oh, how how interesting! I know, yeah, that that's that's beautifully beautifully put. When they film it, they want it to also 
have us view it the way in this in the way that Cat does, which is it's it's a lovely dreamlike almost yeah. you know Disney kind of love romance uh, for so for a very for short time. The second one is we've got the corn. The corn scene. Again, I'm going to come up with better titles for these scenes. <laughs> but it's the thing that pops out the most to us when we were prepping. This corn where Marcus is out talking with the uh, young men that live in the neighborhood. And they're adding some very nice, colorful commentary to the police investigation. I do, I do love it. It's very much on the race relationship. Like, this, this is one episode where you totally see, like, oh, the show is LGBT friendly. Oh, this has got fair representation of, like... <laughs> ethnic majority minorities exactly um, i'm like oh, i'm liking this this is good <laughs> no they do that they do that really well with them the the kind of humor that they're saying with the cop looking looking like anything they call him out they're, they're looking like a, a scary cop like not even just a regular cop a scary cop that has no friends like yeah. <laughs> making a joke um and not trusting him and then marcus then, it, it yeah. is very in his very marcus way is able to still get his in with them, Still with a few choices. to be charming. Yeah. Charming as charming. usual. <laughs> is that way he pops his collar and you go, ooh, and then you go, oh yeah, freeze collar. <laughs> <laughs> that way that these guys are like, we don't respect the police, especially like you, scary white cop. And yeah. it's like, oh, no, you're a priest. You're not a scary priest. You're a man that deserves to be talked to with respect. Right. Right, right. And apparently who also yes. is hungry and, and wants some of that yeah. corn. It needs feeding. It's like, oh no, you poor malnutrition British man. Yeah. Have some corn. You need food. Because <laughs> they, they don't actually show whether, whether they give it to him or not. But that's my entire canon. Like where he actually, uh, they, they saw him looking hungry and they said, here, have some corn. And then the next scene you see him walking into the church, nibbling on a corn, <laughs> corn on the so cob. Like, it's like, oh, I know someone who can help. And you just see the yeah. shot and Marcus is like, so like where did he get the corn from? <laughs> yeah. This is definitely a feed, feed, yeah, the malnutrition British man. Marcus knows how to make friends very quickly. <laughs> this episode is rife with very intense scenes with Casey getting seduced by uh, the salary man. And this next scene that we're going to discuss plays right into that. I think uh, this is the, 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 the scene where the salary man, Pazuzu, uh, is giving her the dress in that scene. So before we start talking about it, I do have a clip that I'd like to play for you guys. See if we can hear it. Classic cat exit. Trailing clouds of me, me, me. You see what she's wearing? Not some boxy frock, that's for certain. Sketched in Milan, stitched in Bangladesh, it catches light, opens doors, and gets what it wants. I could have been in that. You will just fit into it, which is the point, my beauty. Take it. Uh, he's a creep. <laughs> yeah, he is. But the thing is, he knows exactly what to say yeah. to appeal to a young girl's innocence and self-like, like not self-loathing, but like that idea that every girl wants to be pretty. Yes, which is creepy. Like, oh, it just... Ugh. Sorry. Well, that's how all these like these yeah, yeah, all these horrible, creepy stories about these kind of men go. Yeah. That they they know how, he's grooming. He's her, grooming. No, he, that's exactly the word I wanted. He's grooming her. Yeah, exactly. Because corruption is a very slow. It's a very slow process. He 
cannot jump her or she would rebel against him. So he slowly seduces her and he slowly corrupts her and he feeds her needs to be loved, to be seen as beautiful, to be seen as her own person and not Cat's sisters. Right. But, and we all see that. Like, as you're watching him talk with her, it's the way that he, he moves in the scene. He's almost like in this kind of cat like, like circling around her as like this is predator and pre- very, very, exactly very much predatorial and the prey. And I just want to take Casey and be like, look at this guy. Yes. This is clearly like a, 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 creeper that is trying to hurt you even if he wasn't a demon he's a physical man like that you're seeing why don't you see this what's very sad is that casey only wants to be loved she only wants to be loved and she believes he loves her unfortunately the thing that noticed her was yeah uh, yeah, uh, yeah, evil creature, a, a demon. A demon from hell, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's icky. Because I think Salaryman, Pazuzu's original goal was Casey. Uh, was Cat, was Cat. Oh. I think he set it up to originally go after Cat. Yes. Really? But then, when, yeah, I just, I feel, yes. I've always felt I that agree. he went after after Cat first. That's why he saw the fact that she was tenderly entering this lesbian relationship thought oh that's going to bring about like grief and conflict right and all that beautiful teenage angst that i can play with but it turns out that like cat was was stronger than he expected and actually had genuine feelings and wasn't filled about because you see that with the troop uh-huh. you go in expecting the troop to be like oh oh it's your fault that she died and actually the troop are very supportive of the fact that Kat survived and she got a support mechanism with those guys so she didn't fall to depression oh but at all she didn't become weak and suggestible but what happened is because she got a lot of support and sympathy Casey started feeling left out not getting attention and therefore salaryman saw a different route in. He he found his way to worm in there. Oh, that's so. I I never thought of it that way. Where his his intention was cat from the very beginning, but a demon will get in where it can fit in, right? Like that's his like. Okay, yes. well, let's go to Plan B. Let's go to 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 Casey, which uh, oh man, that's brilliant. I I love that perspective of it. Um, well, even even because neither of them are his real target, so he's okay. Right. With- one of them just because she she he wants Angela he wants their mother so either of them is okay because possessing them will hurt Angela yeah right right that's that's the end game here because this is let's just say it like this is the demon with the biggest grudge yes. in history like he can't yeah. get over it I wanted to mention the lead into that scene because Marcus is obviously in Casey's room and he specifically picks out examples of Kat and Casey's relationship. Mm. The fact that the sisters, the bond, but he specifically looks at things that are seen remarkably innocent. It's like, it's a lovely photo. It's a, it's a beautiful, like music box. And it's a really innocent. Yeah, it's lovely. And then it plays the music and then the music continues playing into the next scene and it dies with Maria. 
It's because that that pure moment, that innocence, that dancing, that childhood wonder dies at the introduction of Maria, who is none of those things. Oh my God, Zoe, are you kidding me right now? That is uh, brilliant. Like, <laughs> I never would have picked up on it. No, exactly. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that I had no idea that they'd made this kind of, that kind of transference of that innocence into, oh, Maria is scary and you need to know this by shutting the music down. That is so cool. I love that. Um, and and again, and then also to to your point about Marcus going everywhere, that goes back to his tactile thing where he's just like, I'm going to touch everything in this room right now. I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to pick up this and then I'm, I'm going to smell this. And I love that about Marcus. I love that he's so touchy feely. <laughs> no boundaries. No boundaries. No sense of space. <laughs> yeah. So the lunch scene specifically where everybody is eating and drinking and talking about the Pope visiting Tomas has this little moment in the sun and the spotlight. What do we have to that? Everything is so wealthy. <gasps> it's such rich and colorful and everything has been gray. And like, you're either got your, like your demon pus scenes or you've got your gray. Everyone is poor and depressing. Right. And then you've got these, these priests from the church discussing how great it is that the Pope is coming. Look at our chandeliers. And you're like, <laughs> Thomas is sitting there kind of going, I live in a poor church. I'm trying to do right by the people. And you're like, oh, can I have another goblet of wine? <laughs> can you imagine? They're like, look at this chandelier in this goblet. I am so rich and everything is... <laughs> Religion clearly pays. <laughs> <laughs> How more villainous can you look? Like, yeah. dude, are they stroking? Are they stroking cats with their like and jewels on every yeah. finger? Just like <laughs> yeah. everything you dislike about the church <laughs> and the fact that it's so full of wealth. And, and you're like, come oh, on, go and support the poor communities. Stop having goblets and like you know. <laughs> They're so stuffy. I love it. It's so stuffy. And there's Tomas just sitting there with his cuteness. Just if I may say yeah. something, I'm like, yes, Tomas, you go, yes. you go do your little Thomas thing. And he's the one person that knows the meaning of true wealth. Right. The meaning of true wealth is the faith yeah. of his parishioners, but- and he says that. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because they make that commentary of like, oh, your your church is in desperate times or something. Yeah, go ahead, guy. For the first time, we see Tomas speaking for himself. Tomas is the representation of what the church was supposed to be. Yes. Everyone else is the wealth and uh, uh, what the church became with time. We know from the past episode that the Pope sleeps on the floor. And right now, Tomas is the only one who still believes in that teaching is speaking like the Pope would have loved to hear your uh, his representants around the world. Everyone else is speaking for someone else. Yeah. And we know that. We know almost everyone on that table is on the side of the morning star. It's beautiful to see this uh, difference. And uh, we know that those are two parallel point of view that we'll never meet. Yes. I, Gaia, this is, I'm, I'm loving that you're bringing up all these points because 
I am obsessed with the fact that they chose, the writers chose to keep the Pope on the side of good. At least at this point in this, in our timelines, the Pope is the one that is yes. capturing the side of good, the side of chastity, the side of poverty. <laughs> I don't know about chastity, but the side of the, that poverty yes. and, and the, the, the rejection of, of earthly Right, right, exactly. He can do whatever he wants, but like the, the rejection of earthly things, and that's what uh, you know. I was taught as also a Catholic, a little Catholic girl, where you're 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 supposed to live modestly and without an affection for these things because they're temporal. They're 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 things that are just going to be with us for just a short time. So I love that the writers respected and kept the Pope on the side of good because it's like. You need that balance. If everybody, if everyone in the Vatican and the Pope and everybody is just about um, themselves yeah. and things and power, which is what they're trying to build at this lunch table, then it's like you're on a losing battle. Like Tomas and Marcus need to have somebody that's going to be on their side. And I eventually hope yeah. it gets to the Pope where, where they, they commission his help too yes. when they have this big battle scene and in my above, head above five all, seasons down the line. Above all, Marcus... <laughs> Marcus will need someone that high in the Catholic ranks if he ever wants to be restored into his position. So we really should hope that the yes. Pope is a, is a good guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that he ascribes to that biblical passage what is the famous one where it's it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the uh, eye of a needle a is that, did i say that right yeah yes yes you did it yeah it's and which is interesting because somebody taught me that when they're in the bible they're not actually talking about the physical needle that the camel is going through they're talking about the the needle the the opening of a city um I didn't know this. Yeah, I always envisioned when I heard that that old phrase, I was like, "Oh, it's hard. It's like impossible for rich men to get in heaven because yeah. the needle is, needle is this big." But they're actually talking yeah. about the eye of a city, where it forced the camel and the owner. Well, more the owner. The camel doesn't make decisions, but the owner on the camel has to remove physically the items from his cart to get into the city. So it has a uh, the context of you have to physically take things off of you that you're so attached to all those all those material things so i just wanted to throw yeah. that out there and sound, mm -hmm. and sound smart that's all i wanted to do that was the whole purpose of that <laughs> yeah come back from the butterfly oh yeah <laughs> thanks Zoe. thank you I've, I've already gotten some some crap from some of the fans they're like tina like, clearly <laughs> caterpillars turn into butterflies not centipedes so <gasps> Can you imagine how terrifying those butterflies would be? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, regarding this lunch scene, do we want to add any other additional thoughts or comments, or I don't know, talk about some butterflies um, before we move on to the to another biggie, uh, which is coming up right the now? Ending of the scene, the ending of the yeah. lunch scene with the burning man, yeah. as in the man that yes. is burning, yeah. and not the festival, which we not the festival that takes place in America. We clarified that earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the fact that later you find out it was spontaneous combustion, which is a whole other kind of supernatural kind of thing that happens. The fact that when the man burns, I'm pretty sure it was the man right at the beginning that was going, and the demons are arriving. They're coming into the city. They've already found us. Look after yes. your daughters. Because he was the yes, bad guy. Yes, yes. And he's like, who spoke the truth? Because actually everything he was saying when he was ranting at Angela was true. Yes. And he comes and makes a say, and then when he burns up, 
Again, the figure is in the smoke that's rising. Wait, there is a figure in the... I don't, I don't think I saw a figure. There was a figure? Yeah. Yes. You see him? He's got his the brimmed hat. I didn't even notice that. No, because that would be perfect. That continues all the other figures that they've been doing with the dust and, and the smoke and everything. Dust and the smoke. The figure has appeared again. And at this point, until I rewatch more episodes, I haven't worked out the true purpose of the figure. Yeah, yet. that's what I was about to ask. Why do, you, why, why do they keep showing this figure? Is it just to be weird and creepy? Is what's... I'm gonna have to keep. Re- I'm gonna have to rewatch okay. more because I've got to. I want to really work it out because because of the hat, you see, I'm like, well, the figure is is that, is that shot from the movie when Merrin appears in the doorway and the light and the things, and it's Merrin wearing the yeah. hat. So it, the figure, both times to me, looks like an exorcist. No, exactly because yes. I, I think hat and I think Marcus or I think you know the original exorcist. Yeah. Or could be anything so, else so something is watching yeah. over these events someone is trying to help these guys out and he's appear manifesting in whatever ways but i need i haven't rewatched the rest of the series yeah. yet to pit down oh, i'm theory. excited i'm excited to see what you come up with because again i just want to think it's an exorcist but it could be i don't know maybe a maybe a demon in a hat maybe it's a, a demon that just loves hats i don't know all right well Nope. Nope. So the interrogation scene, which was my favorite, and I thought it was going to be everybody's like, we're going to deep dive into this interrogation scene like crazy, but we all have different big ones that we want to talk about. But this is mine. I have a clip that I want to share to get us started on the big interrogation scene with Casey and Tomas and Marcus in the church. And and Tomas just trying his best. <laughs> here it goes. I'm sorry, why is he here? Too absurd. Sorry, can you say that again in English? Can you move that pen? Not with your hand. Can you do that? Um, <clears throat> I'd like to ask you a series of questions, if you don't mind. I just had to play that because it's just somebody on Tumblr posted this clip, this scene where Tomas is like, try to move the pen. And you just see Marcus literally in the background, like with his hand on his face, like, oh my God, Tomas, oh dear, you sweet, sweet you sweet, boy. precious, naive little boy. Like, yes. He's so cute. <laughs> but good for him for the effort. A for effort brilliant scene it's, it's, it shows just how good Marcus is at his job how he is able to identify not just the aspects that got Casey into trouble like he's found the compact he's recognized that she's been using like she's becoming kleptomaniac and stealing things and he's recognized it's because she has this desire to be noticed and pretty but then she managed then he manages to take it further by understanding those are the traits that the demon got interrupted and he just bypasses her and is able to confront the demon to kind of go, I know how you got in and I'm going to, I'm going to get you to face me. And he manages to piss yeah. off the demon to the point where the demon's like, no, oh, I'm going to say something now. And I'm going, <laughs> cause you know, not everybody could like get a demon to be like, 
And the demon the Hulk is trying to have this control mm -hmm. and he's trying to be like, just don't listen. He's trying right. to coach her. And eventually he loses his rag right. as well. And he's like, no, I'm going to manifest myself and show how amazing <laughs> I am because this angry little British dude <laughs> is pissing me off. Me. Because the way that Marcus is so good is that he pisses him off and he tries to find the one thing that really the demon hates, which at this point, the demon hates being seen as a slave to anybody because that's really the, that was the final, the hair that broke the camel's back that's the phrase right so where he's basically like oh well you're just a slave to her and then that's what he's like i am a slave to nobody <laughs> and then goes in full-on demon mode and marcus is so good at pissing pissing demons off i love him <laughs> yeah. and also i think the salary man in that scene he sees why so many demons fear marcus and it's just like actually this man is something to be afraid of because he knows what he's doing and he's got to try and find a way to break him. So he pretends to be the Baptist. And he's like, I know what, what can scare this man back. That's pretending to be the Baptist. Obviously, and that gets under oh, Marcus's oh, skin. Oh, no, I have that clip too. Hold on, let me play it. Because you're talking about where he's like, are you the Baptist? And then he's like, well, maybe. I don't know. Hold on. Okay, he doesn't say that. Yeah. But I like yeah, his yeah, yeah, Okay, I got it. I got it. Let me get the <laughs> Maybe we should just do the actual clip instead of our versions of the clip. <laughs> okay. The boy sends his regards. What was his name? Ah, uh, yes. Gabriel. The sound his neck made when it snapped. Like machete parting bamboo. Hello, Baptist. Never felt more alive than when he died in front of you. The universe burst open. The eye of God dilated wide, and you were at the center of his disinterest. <laughs> so I, I can't, sorry, I didn't actually imagine the back. Your, <laughs> your face, the entire time, and like acting out the the sound of the drop. I, I love, I love the bit when she goes pop, pop like that. She makes that like oh, she, she makes a cooking sound rather than a popping sound, but the head goes. <laughs> In my brain, I've got I a got, popping sound. I'm not going to look at you anymore when we play these. <laughs> but no, I love that line. And you were the center of his disinterest. Like, how more demonic and villainous can you be? I love the writing yeah. style where they really have to get in the voice of a demon without sounding trite. Like, without, without going into... Oh, usual villain speak. You know, villain speak. You know what I'm talking about? Like in stories where yeah. it's like, monologue of evil. Right. And I'm super awesome and you are not. And I'm going to rule the world. But they don't, they do, they do it in a way that's still creepy. No. Yeah. And they do, I do that one thing that can really like upset someone. It's like, it's like the worst feeling is not for someone to hate you. It's for someone to be disappointed in you or someone to just not be interested. Yeah. Yeah. That's more crushing to have no, like, you aren't anything even worth being interested Ooh, about. I love that because it reminds me of how one of Marcus's deepest fears is that he loses his connection to God. And this demon is basically, he's zoned right into one of his vulnerabilities of, yeah. and he doesn't even, God doesn't even care about you. Like, you're not that special. Well, this is uh, an intense one. Marcus and Tomas are now in the church, in the pews together, uh, right after he's been um told that he's excommunicated do we want to talk a little bit about that excommunication i know we're going to talk about the excommunication itself in the writer's room but uh the scene itself while they're sitting in the pews and marcus is just clearly pissed <laughs> beyond belief yes oh, and i do have a clip i have another clip i let me see if i can find that here them in the pews 
I'm a man in a room. Cobb did not abandon you. That was the church. Oh, yeah, great. Let's fight the enemy with semantics, because that would be a really fun way to Okay, it. I can do it. You can advise me. A surgeon loses his hands. You don't give the scalpel to the man mopping the floor. Teach me. Show me what to do. Ugh. Marcus, that's kind of mean. You just called him the janitor. That's <laughs> <laughs> so British. He's just like, it's that sarcasm. It's that British, like, it's not, it's such a sarcasm. And he's just like, oh, oh, really? Should we just fight him with some semantics? <laughs> Come on, mate. Stop. And like, Thomas again. And here's Thomas just, just trying it. to help. Like, he's like, but I yeah, can do it. Like, <laughs> oh, you're the janitor. You're... <laughs> you're like, no, you're the janitor. Yeah. What a snarky man. And, um, and uh, he knows what's going to happen to the race family if uh, they don't do something. And he also knows that Thomas is not ready yet. He doesn't even understand what they are really no, Thomas, Thomas thinks that you can basically get a demon exercise by saying move this pen with your mind like yes. he has yes. no idea what he's doing I mean no, he's no, got no. a lot of effort but boy needs some needs a slap in the face from reality the final deep dive scene again we have a, a couple of big ones that we're going to get into in the writer's room but the final deep dive scene is the ballet dancing with all the behind the stage stuff with Casey and Kat. There's a lot of music, a lot of music in the scene and some touching inappropriately. So where are we with this one? Where's our headspace? There's so much in this scene. There's yeah. so much. Like layers upon layers upon layers. I mean, I like the fact that the troupe didn't ostracize Kat for what happened. She, they kept with her and she was not like kicked out and she was not made to feel bad they're supportive i liked that she got the support um it was really interesting to see casey be so like turning into like the pazuzu-esque element from the taking of the whiskey to being inappropriate to standing up for a sister and at a time when her sister didn't need her to stand up for her and being yeah. purposely provocative to try and get an aggro vibe from the troop so that the troop would snap back. But all those girls were such a strong unit that the salary man, Pazuzu, couldn't get the rile he wanted from them. So he had to find yeah. other ways to play with, like, Casey. Um, and she's submitting because she's right on the cusp of starting to feel that there's something wrong with what's going on about her. She should maybe things are going wrong and she can start sensing it and just at that moment when she starts thinking actually you know what I should be supportive of my sister I should embrace what's going on with my family I shouldn't be letting this temptation in and that's the moment you see the arm come across her and it's a total oh, moment yeah. of like sub subjecting her and subduing her and possessing her and going be still now I'm with you don't right. feel guilty and she's like oh god no something is really wrong inside me no, no, that hand, I know we talked about this in the prep session where it comes out and they, they choose to just show the one arm very slowly, just coming from the corner of her shoulder all the way down. And of course, the hand goes towards her breast area. And it's another one of those signals going back to make this as sexually nasty too, like trying to get you into a mode of like she's getting touched by this demon in a way that is not right it's um, something taking over a young girl's body and it right. is very equatable to a rape scene yeah 
it's all about because it's never really about sex it's about possession dominance it's about subduing one's will to get what you want out of them and, and that's exactly what this demon is doing to this girl and the musical choices too with that song uh it's it's a beautiful piece that they're dancing to but while this is all happening all this drama is happening with the demon about to overtake casey once again you hear the words over and over and over come 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 you hear those words come Come, come. And so in my head, I'm thinking, of course, I'm going back to the he is coming with the Pope uh, coming. And then our discussion last episode, where are the demons coming because they're murdering? But then it's also... Everything is coming to a head, literally, at this point. Everything is coming. Right, right. Come, that release when you come from a sexual experience. And it's just like, just like, release, enjoy it. Yeah. It's so many different levels. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's so well done. I I love that they have all these different layers to it. Uh, that keeps putting me in this place of ickiness. I think that's the word of the day today. I keep using icky, but it's yes, just it is, it is icky woman. and nasty, but it is a horrible presence defiling a young girl's body, and it's right. the only way it's going to make you feel like if it wasn't making you feel icky, then it was. It's not doing its job right, and it's. Also, not showing you just what a possession is like. It's about losing your ability to feel yourself. It's a, and it's all it's all about a corruptive relationship and and dominance and it's all just nasty, horrible stuff happening to this girl. I think it's just that bit where you see Angela really being there for Cat, and you see Henry wanting those two to have their connection back. So he's the one that goes after. Casey when Casey can't take the pressure the fear the sorrow the anxiety and she has to get out of there yeah he's constantly her point of comfort and support and strength which sucks because you know it's the wrong source of comfort and strength well then that gets us right into our regular segment of the writer's room (laughs) we're going to talk about three specific pieces that stuck out to us that are seemingly um big for this part this episode and the first one guy i'm going to put in your court is the excommunication process that's a big theme of this episode where you know marcus is given his papers you're out bennett gives him the big news and he is like what is this about what's going on but you had some great things to discuss regarding how excommunication works um also in relation to marcus and his uh, uh violent tendencies as well so go ahead yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Tina. Usually, um, excommunication is the last resort for the Catholic Church. Right now, uh, nowadays, uh, unlike it happened in history, uh, excommunication are very rare and is used as the last resort after the Church gave you times and times again, time to repent for what you did. It's the most powerful punishment that the church has in his hands. And, uh, of course, being so big as a punishment, it also means you must do something very, very huge, to be punished like that. Mm, the word excommunication 
comes from the Latin ex communio. That means out of the community. You are born from the life as a Catholic when you get the excommunication. And what Marcus did to be excommunicated is that he didn't follow the orders that were given to him from Bennett, but Bennett spoke for Rome and for the Vatican. So who exactly is going to forgive Mm -hmm. Marcus for what he did? No one else but the Pope himself. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get in touch with. You can't just like call up the Pope, you know, and like, hey, uh, can you uh, take away my excommunication? No, a little bit of a problem. Yeah, no, the problem here is uh, very complicated because the kind of excommunication that was given to him is the late sentencie. This kind of excommunication can be removed only by the Pope. Right, right. It's, he's got the highest level of excommunication. If the, the way that you were teaching me the other day is like, so he's got, it's not just like the, the small level where like, oh, just repent a little bit, come on back, and you're, you're, you're back yes, one of us. Of this course. is like the worst type yeah. of ex- excommunication you could have no, received. No, 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 no. No, exactly, because it's not only a late sentencia, but it's only it's also abomine. Abomine, like coming from like the root of abomination? No, abomine, it means that it was given to him. Homine, it means, uh, uh, abomine means to a man. So uh, it's an, a kind of excommunication that is personal somehow. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So this is something that where it's it's a level of you have to do something so egregious. It's almost like part of your identity. You did it so in a nasty way that you're out of here. Is like in hominate to a man. Like it's a personal like identity thing. If I'm getting that right. Yes. So it's everything or nothing with Marcus Keen. Even his excommunication is everything or nothing. And of course, he did everything he could to be excommunicated. Uh, so, Guy, I know we we had somebody who reached out to us on um, Tumblr uh, that asks about this particular effect on him, this mm-hmm. excommunication, and how it has to do with his own fears and his violent tendencies. Um, her yes. name is at, uh, she's at Clockhearted Crocodile. Um what what can we speak to about his own Marcus's okay. fears about his own self and how this excommunication uh, can maybe heighten those fears? I think Marcus always related on the church to stop him from getting raw and crazy. Uh, he felt the church like his safety net. Now he doesn't have that anymore. He's alone with himself. And we know uh, that Marcus comes from a very uh, violent uh, family of a very violent household. We know that he watched his father killing his mother. And uh, I think, I personally think that uh, like almost everyone growing up, 
with that kind of violence presented to them day after day after day, his, uh, one of his biggest fears is uh, to be like his father. Uh-huh. He counted on the church to stop him from becoming like, him fa- like his father. And uh, what is personally and uh, really Marcus Keane's core is the kindness we see uh-huh. in him in almost every scene. Uh, the way he interacts with uh, younger people, the way he loved Gabriel, the need he had to protect and save Gabriel. It's the real Marcus King. Is the man he would have been if his father didn't mess up with him since a so young age. So inside Marcus are two natures. One is uh, the nature he would uh, have uh, uh, grown for himself. And Mm -hmm. one is what his father did to him. There is a war between these two natures. And he is terrified that in the end, the violent uh, nature could could win over the kind one. When the church took his scholar, it took uh, it took everything from him. Marcus doesn't have the the comfort of the confession anymore. He doesn't have the comfort of the communion. That is the way a Catholic person takes God inside. So yeah. he was uh, he was split apart in the most terrible way because he was betrayed by the organization he gave his life for and uh, he was left with nothing and he also lost another piece of his soul while uh, the the bishop gave him the paper with his excommunication. So uh, right now there are a war inside Marcus because he really is terrified he cannot help the race family. He's terrified he will end up like his father. He's terrified he's going to lose Thomas. And losing Thomas now... Well, I just wanted to add on to that, that it's... One of the things that appeals to me is with his character is exactly what you just mentioned, that kind of inner battle, these dual natures inside of him that are a kind of microcosm for what's happening on the outside too with these two natures. These two forces are constantly battling to to win each other out, the demons versus versus the exorcists and and but he's also dealing with that within his own self. So it's like it's this this really masterful telling of a character who's going through something that we at a human level experienced maybe not as deeply i don't feel that i'm like battling my inner nature to <laughs> harm somebody than fear that i could turn into my also very violent father but yes. it still resonates with us well it resonates with me that we still have this constant battle and it's like yes we can have those fears that we can regress and turn into these these 
people of darkness, but the, the battle isn't about, you know, having that as part of you. The battle is about overcoming it in the end. So I just, again, it's more fangirling about Marcus, but I just, yes. uh, I love that you're talking about that duality. Yes. Yes. Uh, we know that we love Marcus because he is such a complicated right, character. Right. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't love him as much as we do if he was less complicated and happier in life in general. We would love for him to be happy, but his inner war is what pull us yeah. to him. We need him to win this war. We need him to see that he will never be like his father, but right now he doesn't see that. Right now he was betrayed in the worst possible way and he doesn't know his own reaction. Mm -hmm. He wants to be left alone right now, but he cannot because he knows he must do something to save this family. But at the same time, they took the possibility for him to do it legally. He's not a priest anymore. So if he goes into the room with Casey right now, he will be responsible for everything that's going to happen in that room. Uh -huh. No one else will be blamed but him. And if he loses Casey right now, if he loses Casey or Tomas, nothing will be left to be saved inside Marcus King. Marcus King will be destroyed and it will be no more. Right. But we know that's not going to happen. And we he know knows he'll that. win because right he's now, the hero. He and Thomas, yeah, do with Thomas yeah, at his side and Thomas will be in the background going, let me help. And he's like, no, no, you're good, Thomas. Just do your thing in the corner and look cute and uh, I'll take over. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Um, okay, cool, cool. Well, yeah, well exactly. God, thank you for elaborating on that. That is a big piece of this episode and this series. So um, that's, that's fantastic. I know we wanted to talk about that tr the, the train scene, which we didn't di deep dive into precisely for this reason, uh, to to discuss the, the many elements that they throw there in that scene from the from the color choices to the costume choices to the the underlying sexual themes of seduc seduction by the devil how this crosses horror genres and there's something with with you know an homage to the actual movie so i'm not going to give everything away but uh where do we even where do we even <laughs> start with this train scene the final scene in, in this episode the scene is is everything i love about horror because it's that moment of it combines things of what is more evil, actual just everyday humans or the devil oh. himself. And if humans weren't so evil, would we need to call in the devil? So, and that's, I'm, I'm always a big fan of man is the monster. And here we have the scene where Casey is, is confused and she's lost and she's in a really sensitive place. And it's further broken by the fact that Henry passes out. He's either falling back ill or something is happening to him and he can't be there to help her deal with this moment and this dick of a guy mm -hmm. sees this beautiful young thing and 
He is incredibly inappropriate and he has no rules about consent and it's very sexually aggressive and it's very domineering and demanding and it's making sure this young girl knows that she is a plaything for him. And this, this entire episode has been building up to Casey being a plaything to these forces and she has absolutely no choice in the matter what's happening to her by this point. And then it all goes into slow mm-hmm. motion and it all becomes beautiful with this romantic music playing and her savior arrives and the yeah. they bring back the piano music from the yeah. intro the dun, 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 yeah yeah and you just like and you know that it something is not right by that music you know it's not a beautiful scene this is not a knight on a white horse and he comes in and you see that the clothes are beginning to tatter but what you really see is it's the dirt underneath his fingernails and it's all my like dust decay rot detritus and dead things <laughs> in the earth and he's crawled out of all this setup and, and he goes up to her and she's like I'm being abused and manipulative and played with and you are going to help me and he's like of course I'm going to help you I have done nothing but prove that oh I love you oh my god you. what a liar and this man, <laughs> yeah, and this man his man is being aggressive <laughs> and rapey and domineering but I am going to kiss you and make you feel wonderful and right. It's shot you. like a love scene. And the like, way he's coming to her in slow motion. Yeah. It's like, oh God, here, here's his Prince Charming, except it's not Prince and Charming. It, yeah, Prince exactly. Evil. And it is. And it's, also, it's like, he is the lesser of yeah. two evils. Yeah. And then it switches <laughs> straight into the reds and the ambers. And it's a direct juxtaposition to the opening in which the opening used a similar color palette, but it was romantic, light, twinkly, beautiful, like almost fairy-like type blobs of floating color sprinkling past these ones. And this one, it's harsh light interjecting right, into the scene. The carriage goes Don't they have the fluorescent light? Like- yeah. Yep, there's, there's that and there's a flickering. There's the streetlights outside cutting across it just to show that in the beginning and then it switches straight back to grey and everything's exposed and it's grey and it's haunting. And then obviously she wets herself just like Regan did when she finally got possessed. Oh, yeah. And it was that the demon has entered her and therefore she's just let everything go. She's like, she's her body is totally relaxed because she's given it up and then everything just gets released which is why she wets herself it's a, that physical manifestation of relief right. of tension because everybody knows that when you finally go for a wee all tension is just like no actually and it, this goes to so guy made a beautiful point in our prep session about this whole episode is this crescendo i'm totally stealing your words gaia and please elaborate but this build up build up build up to this scene yeah. until a climax so <laughs> i would love to for you to elaborate a bit on why the there's this undercurring sexual tone in these kinds of things, particularly as it has to do with uh, demonic pacts. All through horror films, we see this seduction. It's a sexual seduction. In order to make a pact with the devil, you got to kiss them. You're like, you know, Crowley and Supernatural. I got to kiss Crowley or I got to sleep with the devil and I got to do all these nasty... Like, why is it always (laughs) that we got to lick, kiss, or like sleep with a demon figure in order to be in a pact with them? I don't know. Because... You have to accept the demon inside you. And what is the faster and easier way to be inside someone if not during an act of sex? It doesn't need to be a rape because possession is the opposite of a rape. The victim 
is uh, willingly accepting the demon inside her. So uh, the whole episode is a crescendo, is, uh, is built so that we are led to the point on that train. She is going to lose her fight against possession. And we know right now her only hope to be saved was destroyed morally and psychologically. Marcus right now is a mess of a man and he is also our only and last hope to be saved. Thomas wants to help, but he doesn't know how. He is so innocent and so cute that Marcus cannot, you know, honestly put him in a room with a possessed person because he would lose Mm -hmm. that innocence that Marcus needs to preserve inside Thomas because he has lost his own innocence too long ago. So he must believe he can preserve that innocence in Thomas. Hope must be gained back with the war. But it's not only the war against the demon. It's the war against himself. For every character will have to rebuild himself in some ways. Angela will need to rebuild herself, taking back her own identity. Casey will need to rebuild herself after the possession. The only one who doesn't need to rebuild himself is Pazuzu right now. He's winning. Pazuzu is a strong dude. He's a man with a plan, I'll tell you that. Which leads into, uh, it was a final, which I don't want to spend too much time on because I think we've touched on a lot of it already, but... Uh, one of the fans reached out to us on Tumblr, and thanks for reaching out to us, everybody. Uh, at Charlie underscore D8, um, basically wanted to know uh, and felt like the demons were targeting the Rance family for some time before the possession, from the father's brain injury to Kat's car accident, breaking Casey down to make her vulnerable, um, which is a big part of what Pazuzu's plan was. So going back to like, P- Pazuzu has this vision. He's got this huge grudge. I'm going to go after them. We know that the motivating factor for him is he's just super pissed that case that uh, uh, Reagan was the one that got away. I personally just want to know answers to the questions of why these bad things happen to good people in general. You know, we know the motivation here in the storyline, the the revenge for Pazuzu, but it begs the question of why, why do these things happen to us in our lives where we get injuries or, you know, it's, we, we're constantly asking that, like, I've, I've been, you know, I've been good to other people, but here it is. My mom is in the hospital at too young of an age. Why is this happening? Why? And some people ascribe that to demons. Some people say, oh, well, you know, that's Satan's work and we just got to pray for God to restore. But who are we to say that this is Satan's work to hurt, put somebody in the hospital and then pray to God? So again, it's a bigger theological question. Of, of why do bad things happen to good people. But I just kind of <laughs> wanted to throw it out there. You know, if we wanted to just even kind of try to touch that biggie with our with our expertise in <laughs> in our Exorcist fan podcast. <laughs> we'll make theological questions. questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can yeah. into the show, because obviously we know that Pazuzu yeah. is targeting Reagan, and we know that Pazuzu originally targeted Reagan because the item, the totem was randomly like ended up in her possession that allowed him 
because originally Pazuzu was trying to fight Merin and we know that Merin, that Pazuzu was going after Merin because he was warrior of God and like, you know, he was on the front lines, like defeating demons around the place and the demons were like, we need to, you know, get rid of this warrior of God somehow. And it was like, so why are demons like trying so desperately to get rid of the like the exorcists that are like trying to yeah. save humankind? But at the same time, humans themselves are evil and full of like energies that are negative. Original and sin, if you're Catholic out there. Just the Shout out to the Catholics. Yeah, you know, the, the manifestations of our darknesses. <laughs> and the only thing that really like outshines darkness is light. And the better you are, it's like the brighter you shine and the, the stronger your light is, the further you fall. And the further the fall, just the yeah. bigger the mess. And yeah. demons are creatures of chaos. So if they go after the, the most innocent, the kindest, they're the ones that hurt the most. Because if you go after the ones that are kind of already on the level of some kind of kind of corruption, they're already like weather beaten themselves about like accepting bad things happening to them. So do you believe that some of the sources of this evil and these, these tragic things that happen to people in the world are because of actual demons? Okay, so I don't, I don't know if I believe in demons is the way that the Bible describes yeah. what demons are. I have a very much more Asian background in the fact that we all share our plane of existence with various spiritual and mythological kind of like entities. I also do believe that us as humans are full of energy because we are, we're full of energy. Otherwise our brains <laughs> wouldn't fire synapses. And when we die, you cannot destroy energy. So I believe there is fundamentally a lot of energy in the world. Now what makes use of this energy, who's to say? But if we share our planes with other supernatural beings and they maybe want to feed off this energy or survive off this energy. And then a lot of Asian beliefs is like, and also back in the day to like things like the Greek gods, the more you believe in something, mm -hmm. the more power it has. And it's a very strong belief in things like Shintoism from Japan. So if you have a lot of faith in your family, your family can be a really strong, powerful thing that protects you against evil. If you do not have that faith and strength and the bonds of your family break down, then evil and corrupting influences and negative energies can get in there and prey on it. It's just like there is corrupting influences. And if you don't have, you don't need to have faith in a God, but if you don't have faith in something better, then you've got nothing to protect yourself from wow. being easily corruptible. And the stronger your faith in these things, the more tasty you are to these entities because... Exactly. And it's that constant wanting to push back because the balance wants to be restored. It's like, this is too good. So let me just try to get some darkness in there get some yeah. yang into this ying you know like this is i agree completely so i go so no no answers today but uh tune in tune in next week and maybe we'll solve this <laughs> solve the conundrum of why bad things happen to good people okay so fun facts i have fun facts i have the fun facts okay <laughs> try to pull it up okay and y'all told me i could not tell you during our prep session so you can have this is real raw reactions guys that you're listening to so a fun fact I have for the first one is that in this episode, we hear Marcus speak not only German, not only Japanese and English, but also Aramaic. How cool is that? And it's actually <laughs> the first time that Ben Daniels was able to speak all those different languages in one role in one episode. So he was actually really excited about that, too, apparently. Um, second fun fact is that on the opening credits, and this came from, thank you, 
Eid underscore cyan on Twitter um, told me about this, that the um, the method that they did that, you know, the introductory scene where it, all the black inkiness comes through and it looks all creepy. Yeah. So take a guess at what that ink is going into. Just take a stab in the dark. Milk. Milk! Of course. Of course you did, it, Zoe. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. It just seemed like the logical thing to make it look all like because the the different viscosities and also the color palettes. Yes. Well, you. That I was, was it. Like, I can't believe I got that right. I'm so sorry. No, I feel like I ruined was, your moment. That was my thunder. Thanks. <laughs> Took it. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Take it away. From a family point of view, it makes sense. No, I thought that was just really neat. They're using. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> what? Milk. It's milk. <laughs> But it's uh, and it's in. Well, here I'll add on to that. And the ink that they used was India ink. Mind blown. Okay. Uh, Thing thing number three. Easter egg fun fact number three. That uh, the on the question of the Exorcist curse, we've all heard that the set of the Exorcist, the original Exorcist movie, was cursed. Every report I've read in the interviews, everyone's like, no, the curse isn't real on the TV show. We haven't gone through any curses. The cast is like, we haven't felt anything weird. We had the thing blessed. So, But I did find one guy who did say it was a curse, and he felt it firsthand, which was the showrunner from season one. Rollin Jones, in an interview, said <laughs> before the season aired, season one, he said, the curse is real because three things happened to me. I got one, double pneumonia, two, a broken foot, and an ulcer. And he legit said the curse is real. He must be a very good person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like how you did that. You brought it back, Zoe. That's well done. And then the final thing is, this is more just a pump up for me as a fan because I love hearing these things, is an interview, Sean Crouch, who was uh, the showrunner for season two with Slater, uh, said in an interview... And I quote that we have the smartest fans in the industry, which is super satisfying as a writer. We can challenge them, put things out there that are more complicated, and there's no need to play to the lowest common denominator. For me, I was just like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> telling me that I'm smart. I appreciate that. I like that. <laughs> those, are my, those are my fun facts and Easter eggs. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got to add this. It's like you are smart, even if you do think centipedes turn into butterflies. <laughs> she will never let you forget. Thank you, Tina. Zoe will Thank never you. let you forget. I'm not going to let it go. I know, I know. I feel like such a dumb dumb because it was really an effort we to sound. My dear, we all have those. We still things. love you, Tina. We still love Thank you me. very much. Thanks, Gaia. Love You're you, welcome. Joe. Love you, Zoe. Love you, Gaia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Try to not be a dit as much as I am. In this it's all right. Okay. And the final segment of the hour um, is our big spotlight on the fandom. Woo woo, go fans! Because we're all amazing, Woo-hoo! according to Sean Crouch. We're also very smart. So, um. This is first, we wanted to do a thank you to all the fans who sent in us questions and things to think about. Um, I also got one, I see you, Hoovy and Floozy. Thank you, Hoovy and Floozy on Tumblr. You've also sent us something to talk about and we'll definitely talk about Bennett in a future episode because yeah, I, I'm second guessing his motivations too. Everyone trusts Bennett too much. I don't know if we should. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, since this episode was so disturbing and I was in a bit of a dark place by the end of it, I'm going to shout out to a fan that made me smile and laugh and got me back to my happy place, which is... At Wrong Exorcism on Twitter. This person is so amazing. They put up pretty regularly these... Uh, things a lot of fandoms have seen where you put the wrong quotes and you overlay it images and scenes from the episode. So it'll be a very intense scene of like Tomas, like deep thought and prayer and scra- and screaming. But, but this person puts like different quotes on the bottom. So if you want a laugh and you want to pick me up, just like Zoe said, follow at wrong exorcism on Twitter. Cause <laughs> they're hilarious. Every single one I'm dying. <laughs> and I just fell off my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> okay um so that's it <laughs> Yoo-hoo. we, we need to come up it. with better endings we went a little overboard this week <laughs> i blame the i blame the corona <laughs> i am one deep in all right so we did it yay guys yay! this is the ending of our episode thank you for listening thank Woo! you Woo! thank you <laughs>